Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. But uh, as my wife mentioned, we are finishing up this week. It'll be my final sermon on the 21-day reset. And today, um, we are diving in. We've been talking about fasting and prayer been talking about this idea of fasting and prayer, and we are diving in to this peculiar passage in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus addresses this in a very unusual way at first glance, but I want us to see what he's actually saying and why fasting especially, something that, let's be honest, we don't practice very much or we don't participate in very often, but why it's so important for us to make it a regular practice in our spiritual lives. I want to start by way of illustration, and uh, we're going all the way back to the 60s. Welcome to church. Here we go. You know, all across the world, I was doing some research. I was not alive in the 60s, but it was a crazy time, a crazy time across the world. Really, if you look back through history, revolution was in the air. You had college students all across France and Europe and Paris, especially, who were protesting the factories, and they were telling the factory workers to to quit their jobs, and they said, you've got nothing to lose except your chains. Americans in America at that time, many Americans marched for advocating for civil rights with Martin Luther King, and they, they protested the racial inequality in the South there were protests against the Vietnam War, protests against nuclear testing. All across the world, it seemed, in the 60s, everybody was protesting something. And many of those causes were worthy causes, were things that the voices of the nations needed to be raised about. But it was interesting because if you look at historians or cultural critics who have studied the 60s, they would tell you this. Most of the revolution, the, the, the protests, the things that were happening in the 60s, they didn't just stem from the external issues. They came from something deeper. You see, it was a new generation who grew up after World War II who no longer wanted to be told by their parents that they had to behave in the old ways and live according to the old systems. They simply wanted change. Maybe Bob Bob Dylan, that amazing philosopher and theologian, maybe he said it best. He said, come gather around people, people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a change in. It's my title for today. It's what we're talking about today. I believe that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 9. He's looking not just at the Pharisees and his own disciples and the disciples of John the Baptist, but he is looking at them and he's saying, my arrival on the scene, me being here right now, is declaring one massive thing to the entire world. He says, I am the hinge point of history and times are changing. 
I'm bringing a change into the world that the world has never seen, and I want you to come with me into the new world, the new creation that I'm creating right here, right now, kingdom of heaven on earth now. The times are changing. Follow me. In Matthew 9, we're going to pick up there. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 9. We're going to be in verse 9 to 17. It'll also be on the side screen. You can read along. But here's... Here's what our story, here's what the Word of God tells us today. Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there to the next town, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So Matthew rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Matthew invited him home. We learned that from Mark So Jesus is eating at Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then in verse 14, the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees, so you can picture this now, right? Jesus is at Matthew's house, which is a very controversial thing. And first the Pharisees come up with questions because whoever this guy Jesus is, he's not acting like he's supposed to act. You're not supposed to be around these people if you're a rabbi, Jesus. And then the disciples of John the Baptist who have been told and trained by John the Baptist that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, they've got questions. And so they come and they say, "Uh, Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You guys are feasting over here. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Nobody's fasting and mourning at a wedding. If the bride is mourning at the wedding groom, something is wrong. Y'all need to deal with that before y'all take the vows, okay? Address that first. If it's not tears of joy, something's wrong. Weddings and funerals, they don't go together, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus says, my followers in the days to come, in the years to come, will be people who fast. Now, over the past 21 days, we've encouraged fasting and prayer, and I've said things like, hey, maybe you should do a social media fast, maybe take a break from sugar, caffeine, alcohol, pray about how the Lord might be inviting you to fast, to give up something in your life for a spiritual reason and to focus on fasting and prayer, to focus on spiritual growth by saying no to some of the things that may bring you comfort or may in some way or another help you disconnect from reality. But when Jesus says they will fast, he's not talking about a social media fast or a fast from caffeine, or a fast from just alcohol. He's not talking about dry January. Jesus is talking about food, all of it. 
And I don't know if anyone in here has ever tried this, maybe for health reasons you have, and I would say if you've never done a water-only fast before, definitely check with your doctor beforehand to make sure it's okay for you. But also, if, you, if you've ever had a history of an eating disorder, I, I would really say this before we jump into fasting and what I'm gonna talk about today. I would be very hesitant to jump into fasting because it can be a stumbling block. So those two things I wanna say as disclaimers off the top. But when Jesus is talking about fasting, what we're gonna look at today is actual fasting from food for a set period of time, which the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist and historically Christians have done for thousands upon thousands of years. What he's talking about is abstaining from food for a period of time. And if you've never done that before, say 24 hours or three days of fasting, water only, I want to encourage you. Maybe this week, maybe you got to figure out some time to create space for it, but I want to encourage you to give it a try. I'm going to give some context for it. I know this isn't a very popular idea or maybe something you've never thought of or tried before, but what Jesus is saying right here When he says, when the bridegroom is taken away, when I'm taken away, they will fast. He's not saying they might fast. It might be something they occasionally try. It's actually supposed to be a regular part of our lives as Jesus followers. But he also says just a few chapters earlier, be careful about how you fast because you can actually fast and pray in the wrong way. You can give money in the wrong way. You can pray in the wrong way. You can fast in the wrong way. You can even care for the poor in the wrong way. The Pharisees did all that, and they completely missed Jesus. Friends, here's a crazy thought. You can show up to church. You can be in a small group. You can read the Bible in a year. Pharisees knew the Bible really well. You can do all the right stuff. You can even fast and pray, and you can still completely miss Jesus. You can still completely miss what God is doing in and on the earth. And what Jesus is saying is, times are changing. I am now the new standard of what the kingdom of heaven, of what God on earth is looking like. And so if you're not with me, says Jesus, and you're not following me back to the Father and you're doing all this religious stuff, you're missing it. You're actually missing it. And Jesus says, I don't want you to miss it. And so he says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. And picking up in verse 16, he goes on to say, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, both are ruined. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Now, what I want us to see here is this. It feels a little disconnected when you first read it. It's like, all right, first we're starting here with a party at Matthew's house. Jesus is eating with all the wrong people. And, you know, he's having to answer questions from the Pharisees, and then it goes directly into this question about fasting. So first off, why are you associating with the wrong people? Secondly, why are you not fasting? Why are you feasting? And Jesus 
gives a couple parables, analogies in response, one involving, you know, shrunk clothing, the other involving wine and wineskins, and the other involving a wedding and a wedding feast. And I want us to see what he's saying because he's calling us to fasting. He's calling us to live a life where we reorient our life to heaven and to him and so that we don't miss the kingdom work, the new wine that he is wanting to provide and to give to us right here and right now. So there's a few points that we're going to see from this text. Number one, fasting, the reason I'm encouraging all of us to give this a shot, to try it, maybe just 24 hours, dinner to dinner, water only, give it a shot. It reorients us to a new reality. That's what Jesus is saying. Number two, he's saying it actually resets our bodies and our souls. We'll get into a little bit of the science behind that in a second. Number three, it reminds us of the cross. When he says, when the bridegroom is taken away, he's talking about himself, taken away means when he dies, Fasting is actually meant to remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and fasting will reconnect us to the future hope of a resurrected life, of a new life. Not just what Jesus did, but what he's returning to do one day to make all things new. And if fasting is done right, with the right focus, it will be one of the the greatest catalyst in your life to grow your faith, to reorient you to the reality of heaven, to live from the place of the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ, and also to be anchored in the future hope that he is returning to make all things new. This is a game changer, and I'm afraid. I was looking at it. I was convicted. A full confession moment from your pastor. I hardly ever fast. As in like, I, I am not in danger of, you know, being the Pharisee who stands on the street corner and, you know, is all gloomy because he's fasting. No, I don't fast. This is not a regular part of my spiritual life. And yet I am looking at this passage and I'm realizing Jesus doesn't give us an out. He says, look, when I go back to heaven, when I'm taken away, they will fast. I'm like, really? Will we? <laughs> Lord, we need some help here. So let's get some help from God's word and let's see why this is so important. Number one, fasting reorients us to a new reality. We're gonna look at what he said here. It says this, uh, the Pharisees asked his disciples, why does your teacher, your rabbi, eat with tax collectors and sinners? So before he gets into fasting, we've got the scenario going on, the, the dinner party at Matthew's house that the Pharisees are really upset about. You know, why is he eating with the wrong people? It goes into the next verse. But when he heard it, this is Jesus overhearing the Pharisees talking to his disciples. He said, hey guys, um, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, they need a doctor. I'm the doctor. I'm here to bring healing. He goes on, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, the Pharisees at that time, they believed they were God's agents of healing and reconciliation and restoration to the world. They believed they were the caretakers of the law, and the law was the very thing that people needed in order to be in right standing with God. 
And so here, Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm changing the game. Times, they are a-changing. Right here, right now, I am the new reality. I am the law. I'm the avenue by which everyone must return to the Father. Hey, the law was good, but the law was pointing to the world's need for a Savior, and that's me, and I'm here. And so the reason, and this was wild as I was researching this this past week, you know, rabbis, Pharisees in the ancient world, oftentimes they built their reputation based on the level or the quality of their students, of their disciples. So if a rabbi wanted to kind of boost his resume and get some respect in the culture, he would make sure to invite the best and the brightest young students to be his disciples. Now, Jesus, he had a slightly different approach. He starts off with fishermen, uneducated fishermen. He starts off with a woman named Mary Magdalene, who we learn later was possessed by multiple demons. She was crazy, out of her mind. He starts with this ragtag group of outcasts, and he gets even worse. He moves on to tax collectors. And they're like, does your rabbi not understand what he's doing to his reputation? Instead of finding the best and the brightest, he's going after intentionally choosing and calling the outcast to come and follow him. And Jesus is saying, exactly. I'm going after people that know they need God, that understand they can't find righteousness on their own. I'm going for those who are sick and in need of healing. And oh, by the way, Pharisees, you're the sickest of them all because you actually think your fasting and your prayer and all your righteous deeds is going to climb you into heaven. It's gonna earn you favor with God. You have no idea how broken you are. You have no idea how badly you need a healer, a physician. I am the great physician. I'm here to heal you, but you have to humbly receive me. The most dangerous thing in terms of us walking with Jesus is not our brokenness. It's not our sin. It's not our addictions. It's not all the areas of our life in which we fall short. The dangerous thing, the most dangerous things in terms of our relationship with Jesus is actually the areas where we feel like we're doing pretty good. It's actually the areas that we feel like Pat myself on the back right here. God, you should be pretty proud of me. Surely you, you love me now based on my performance. I've read the Bible three days in a row. I went a whole 24 hours without food, God. I, I'm a real deal Christian now. Jesus is like, no. The moment you begin to stand on your own righteousness before God and you don't lean into Jesus, you've lost it. I'm not saying, oh, you've lost your salvation. You've just lost the point. The point is to lean on Jesus even on your best day. You are desperately in need of the salvation of Jesus Christ. No more or no less than on your worst day. That's the beauty of grace. It covers the best days and the worst days. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want to reorient you to a new reality. 
I'm here. I am the way to the Father. Everyone is in need of me. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You need mercy, not more sacrifices. Jesus wasn't there to teach them a new law or a new interpretation of the law. Jesus was there to fulfill the law for them because they couldn't do it on their own. He says, look, you've got to come with me though. There's a gap you can't cross. There's a divide that you can't cross. I am the only way back to the Father. <laughs> Reminds me of a situation I found myself in this past week. It was, it was a really awesome, inspiring opportunity for me. I, I got to go and hang with pastors all across the state of California. And we got together and we were, we were dreaming about what it would look like to plant churches all across California. We believe, I believe, the greatest way to transform California, to transform the world, to transform the nation is by planting strong Christ-centered biblical churches. The local church represents Jesus Christ, which is the hope of the world. Making disciples one by one is how we change California, how we change the world. And so we got together and these were pastors from churches far bigger than ours. And everyone said, I don't need my name on it. I don't need our church name on it. We just need to figure out how to make more disciples, reach more lost people, and plant more churches all over California. I'm like, sign me up. Let's figure this out together. It's exciting, right? Now, that's a side note. Uh, one night with everybody, we went out to eat together and I was, in, uh, I was in the car with my buddy James, and we had finished dinner. We were heading back to the place where we were staying, and it was near the coast. And I remember on the way back, I'm sitting in the back seat with another pastor, a friend of mine, and, and we both were looking at each other thinking, this doesn't feel like the way that we went. It feels like we're going back a different way. And we say, hey, James, you know, check Google Maps. He's like, oh, I'm using Waze right now. We're like, okay, we'll check Waze. And he goes, yeah, it's bringing us in the back way. And I thought, well, you know, we're right here on the coast. The back way is like the Pacific Ocean. You know, it's th this place we're staying is not like on a peninsula. So there is no back way in. And we're winding through this neighborhood closer and closer to the water. And I kind of know in my head, like the house is on the other side of the water. And all of a sudden in front of us is this huge blue sign with an arrow pointing left and it said ferry to the left. I was like, James, I think it's gonna, you know, I think we're gonna get on the ferry and go across, you know, the intercoastal water, the canal here or whatever it is. Now, it was right on the tail end of that last massive storm that we had. So the wind was howling, the waves were pretty big. And I, I've ridden a ferry before in my car, you know, in Seattle, where I was on the ferry with about 100 other cars and the ferry was the size of a cruise ship. I didn't even know like when I got on and when I got off, couldn't even feel it, right? That thing that pulled up, you know, to our little car on that night, that was not a ferry. It was a pontoon boat at best. Maybe a, you know, like a survival raft at worst. And this guy, the winds and the waves are so bad. We see him, you know, four, 500 yards away. You know, he, he kind of shines the lights and lets us know he's coming. And he just like takes off up the canal. And I'm like, what's he doing? And he's literally like, like a golfer at Pebble Beach. He's playing the wind. 
and bringing the ferry back in to slot it right in front of the rental car that we have. And I'm like, I don't like anything about this situation. I want a ferry that doesn't move with the wind, right? I want a ferry that is so big, I don't even know I'm on it. And he's like, all right, come on down, guys. And I'm like, James, I'm rolling my window down and unbuckling my seatbelt in case I need to do an escape maneuver, right? We get onto the ferry, and here's the worst part. The moment our car got on the ferry, the ferry's like bobbing. It, It felt the weight of the car. It's too small to be a ferry, okay, if it feels the weight of your car. And this guy just takes off. And as soon as we get out of our little slot, I mean, the wind is howling, the waves are like coming up over the edge. It's blowing. He's got this thing, you know, pedal to the metal. It's like, I'm like, this is so sketchy. Lord, if we don't make it, I'm about to call my wife and just say, I love you, sweetheart. I died on a ferry. (laughs) Just a shameful way to go. But he starts shooting off up, up the canal. Then he cuts the engine. This guy is crazy. Like, what is going on? And he, he literally rides the wind, hits the engine at the last second, turns it back, and just pow. Like, it's like making a 30-foot putt at the Masters. I'm like, this guy is amazing. Let's all give him a round of applause. Incredible, right? And we got off, and we're safe. But it was very disorienting to be in a car that feels like it's on top of a little life raft, feeling every wind, the wave, the spray from the waves, and being like, man, I have no control over whether we make it to their side or not. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm here. I'm changing the game. You need to, I'm your ferry ride to the other side. I'm your only shot of getting where you need to go, which is back to the Father. And friends, it's going to feel disorienting. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And he goes from that situation, he goes, that's why I'm hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and as a rabbi, that's not something that you should normally do. And then he goes into fasting, and he says, hey, would a bride mourn and fast at her wedding? No. He said, look, I want want to reorient you to a new reality. The natural thing to do as a human on planet Earth is to eat food, Every day. Uh, Would everyone agree that food is one of those essential needs in life? In and out burger right up there at the top. Some buffalo wings while we watch the 49ers beat the Cowboys right up there at the top. Sorry, I had to throw it in. House divided. House divided now. Let's bring it back to Jesus, people. Food is essential. It is not natural not to eat. It's not. The moment, I promise you, (laughs) the moment you try 24 hours without food, you're going to be hungrier than you've ever been in your entire life. I promise you, just heads up, it's coming. I'm never going to make it. You will, I promise. But he goes, look, the reason I'm asking you to fast and pray is because those things actually don't come natural to you as a human on planet Earth in the normal culture that you're living in. He goes, but you are strangers. This world is not your home. 
And I'm worried that too many of us have become way too comfortable in the stuff of this world, way too connected to the stuff of this world and disconnected from the stuff of heaven and the stuff of God. And Jesus says, look, if you wanna grow, if you wanna get to the other side with me, I'm gonna save you as a free gift of grace. It's gonna feel disorienting as you learn to live this new life with me, but you need to do some things that push against the normal flow of life and disconnect you from the culture and the world and all the fleshly stuff that we deal with and reconnect your soul to God. And fasting is one of those things. They will fast when I'm taken away. It reorients you to heaven, to reality. The discomfort that you feel when you don't eat food is a reminder to your entire self that this world is not your home. Heaven is your home, and you're on your way there. Fasting, it not only reorients us to a new reality, it resets our bodies and souls. Jesus says, as the disciples of John, they came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you know your disciples do not fast? And Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And he goes on. I don't want to miss this. It's so important. He says, no one puts a piece of new cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. I just I want to highlight a couple things so we don't miss it. Couple phrases here that Jesus really focuses on new and old. He goes on, worse tears made, neither is new wine put into old wineskin. And Jesus is saying at the end of the day, the examples he's giving here is look, I represent the new work that God is doing in the world. The law is like an old wineskin. And if you try to put the new work that I'm doing, into an old wineskin, it's gonna explode. It has no more room to stretch and give anymore. Wine goes through a fermenting process. It begins to bubble, it releases CO2. If you put it into a wineskin that's already been fully stretched and is brittle, that's the law, that's the, Jew, the Jewish religious system at the time, it's gonna burst that system and it's gonna ruin the wine and the wineskin. He goes, look, if you wanna prepare your heart for what I'm doing, you need to fast and pray so that the wineskin of your soul is soft enough to receive what I want to do in your life. If, imagine this, if Jesus did not come, if Jesus did not say this is a new work and the old wineskins don't work anymore, we would not be gathering in this room today. He says, look, my, my heart, my desire is to break out of the Jewish religious system, the law that was given by the Father to Moses. I want to break out of all the laws and the traditions of, the, of Judaism, and I want to go to the ends of the earth. I want to reach the Gentiles. That's the rest of the world. The new wine of the gospel, the new thing that I want to do in the world through mercy and grace, through my death and resurrection, cannot be contained within the structure of Jewish religion. 
It's gotta go to the ends of the earth and it has to connect with every culture, every language, every tribe from Africa to Asia to North America to South America to everywhere in the Middle East. It, it has to break beyond the bounds of a one specific religious tradition. It's focused on me. The new thing I'm doing is not compatible with the old way of doing things. You need to reorient your life. Here's something that's crazy that happens through fasting. There is literally, as I looked at this and did a little research this week, there's a reset that happens in your body and your soul. Did you know if you go three days on water, first of all, you're really going to feel like you're dying. Uh, <laughs> because for three straight days, you're being attacked by your appetite. Your body is so accustomed to three meals a day, to running on the energy that it gets from food. But by the end of 24 hours with no food, science has discovered, medical doctors have discovered, your body goes into a phase called apophagy. And during this phase, all of your cells in your body begin to regenerate. They, they dump all of the old toxins, all the old matter, all the things they don't use anymore. They just dump it into the energy system that your body consumes to you know, focus and to move and to have energy. And at the end of three days, your body goes through an entire cellular regeneration and like a full body flush. Doctors say, look, you should do a three-day water fast. Again, not all, check with your doctor first. But they say you should do a three-day water fast twice a year just to completely cleanse your system. Isn't that crazy? But what struck me was this, is I'm like, man, that's such a parallel to what Jesus is calling to do with our spiritual lives. Fasting is a way to detox and cleanse ourselves from all the influences of the culture that are bombarding us 24-7 through the news, through social media, through marketing. Friends, you're being shaped every day by somebody, by something. Fasting is a chance for you to push back on all the things of this world and culture that are shaping what you love, what you want, what you're dreaming about, what you're going for in life, and it reshapes you and reorients you to the kingdom of heaven so that you can follow Jesus with a pure heart. What happens in your physical body is a picture of what happens in your soul when you fast. It's a reset for your body and your soul. But lastly, and I'll close with this, and I want to invite the band to come out with this, invite the keys to come out, and then we're going to close with a time of prayer. But I thought this was so fascinating. As you read Matthew 8 and 9, there was a pattern that I saw. It was fascinating to me. I hope you can read this. It's a lot of words. Kingdom, reorient, kingdom. Matthew records a story in Matthew 8 where Jesus calms the storm. When they hit the shore, Jesus heals two demoniacs, two men that were possessed by demons. Goes straight into a healing of a paralytic. He says, paralytic, he says, rise up off your mat. It's the same word used for resurrection. Then Jesus goes into town and sees Matthew sitting in a tax booth 
and says, come and follow me. And it says, Matthew arose, Greek, same word for resurrection, and followed Jesus. He goes to Matthew's house. He eats with all the people he's not supposed to eat with. He's questioned about fasting. He explains why we need to fast. Then he goes on. He heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. He, raises, he actually raises a girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter. He heals two blind men, and then he heals a man who's mute. And you know what struck me about this? This is the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? Garden of Eden. No sin, no death, no sickness, no sorrow. Everywhere Jesus went, he said, heaven on earth, heaven on earth. I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna cast out the oppression. Blind eyes are gonna open. Deaf ears are gonna open. Mute mouths are gonna worship me again. Those who are lame will walk. The dead will rise. I'm reversing what sin has done. Everywhere Jesus went, he reversed the curse of sin. He brought a little taste of resurrection of the new heaven and the new earth where this whole thing is going. And then right smack dab in the middle of this incredible list of miracles, Matthew tells his testimony. You know who wrote the gospel of Matthew? It's not a trick question. Matthew. Friends, don't miss this. This is, this is the whole deal right here. I mean, this just wrecked me as I saw this, right? Jesus is saying, look, fasting, it reminds us of the cross. The bridegroom is taken away by violence. He dies for our sins on the cross, but it reconnects us to the future of hope, knowing he's gonna return and make all things new, just like Jesus gave us a small hint of that every time he healed someone, every time he raised someone from the dead, every time, every time he came in and, and caused blind eyes to open and lame people to walk, he goes, this is where we're heading. You all got a spiritual problem that I got to deal with first. I'm going to deal with that on the cross. I'm going to conquer sin and death for you. And Matthew is, is right there recording these miracles. I can see him just trying to keep up. And then he remembers in this flow of thought as he's remembering, you know, following Jesus and the stories of Jesus. And, and it's almost like he pauses and he goes, I remember the day he called me. I remember the time he walked by my tax booth and I was hated by everyone. The Romans didn't like me. My own brothers and sisters didn't like me. I was an awful man. I used the power of the Roman government to take advantage of my own people and to make myself rich. I was a liar and I was a thief. And he looked at me in my tax booth and he said, come follow me. And then Matthew uses this word in Greek that's called resurrection. He says in the third person, Matthew arose and followed him. He goes, I rose from the dead. I entered into a whole new life. When he called me to come, I left it all. I paid everyone back. I threw a party for all my crazy friends and I invited Jesus to my house and he came. He came to my house and that got him in some trouble. These Pharisees showed up and they said I, he shouldn't be eating with us, but he didn't care. He called me and he goes, I know that was a long list of miracles and crazy things, calming storms and raising people from the dead. But Matthew goes, I'm a miracle too. I'm a miracle of grace. Friends, you are a miracle of God's grace. If you put your faith in Jesus, 
you've risen from the dead into a new life. And what fasting and prayer does, don't miss this, is it guards you from going back to the tax booth. It guards you from going back to the old way of life. I imagine there were days when Matthew said, oh, this is hard. Peter and James and John, they hate me. I used to tax them real heavy. They were the fishermen in my town. And now they have to learn how to love me. I got to learn how to love them. Everywhere we go, you know, Jesus is either rejected or he's accepted. We have nowhere, I mean, we're, we're nomads now. We're wandering around. Life was pretty good in the tax booth. And Jesus is saying, look, when I'm taken away, they will fast, they will pray because it's gonna remind them of what I've done for them, but it's gonna connect them to the future reality of the restoration of all things that this world is not their home. There's a new day coming where I make all things new and it's gonna anchor them to that by teaching them how to not get too comfortable here. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.